Sean, Trevor, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank yeah, you. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Petro is a fascinating doc. It is, uh, this is uh, a wild, wild story in so many ways. What, what made you want to tell this one? What is it about Petro that, that made you excited to tell the story? Yeah, I mean, he is uh, uh, really a once in a generation, uh, former guerrilla and now politician who, uh, you know, we from an early on, uh, Trevor and I actually started documenting Gustavo Petro's story way back in 2007, or even earlier than that, I believe it was 05 or 06, Trevor. Um, and we made a couple of student documentaries about Gustavo Petro and about the conflict in Colombia um, in the mid aughts. And so 15 years later, we came back to the same subject matter um, because there was this sense that, you know, we were young then, you know, we're 37 now and we were 21 back then. And we didn't really have the depth of experience with filmmaking, obviously, that we do now. And, um, you know, I think there was always kind of this lingering feeling of that we had captured something there, but we really hadn't made the sort of film that we had been dreaming of at the time. Um, and so, uh, you know, uh, I, you know, I saw some early polling um, that said that Gustavo Petro may have a chance of winning this election. He had run, he had become mayor of Bogota and then run for president twice and lost. Um, but in 2018, he got more votes than any progressive candidate had ever gotten. And so that was the moment when I think a lot of people started to take notice and say, you know what, this could actually um, be a possibility in the future. And um, the former president, Ivan Duque's administration was plagued by a lot of unrest and a lot of um, issues. And so I think that combined with the pandemic um, really uh, paved the way for Petro to run a successful campaign in 2022. And so in April of 2021, we had our first phone call with him and he said, uh, I believe he was in Italy at the time and may have had COVID. And he said, you know, I haven't even really started to think about the campaign just yet why don't we talk again in september um, when we're gonna when we get started in earnest and so we flew to bogota and met with him at his office in the in the colombian senate building and pitched him on the idea of doing the documentary and when uh you know when he thought about it for a moment he asked me well how are you going to follow my campaign if you don't if you're not here and i said well i'll just move here for the film so i actually moved to colombia for a year and a half um, to follow the campaign. And uh, we, you know, crisscrossed the country with our small kind of skeleton crew uh, over the course of, I think it was nine months or so. And it was a really intense time period and, and also a really inspiring one as, as we hope uh, comes across in the film. Absolutely. I mean, and, and that's, a, this is an intense process. I mean, we, we see and hear story after story of, uh, presidential incumbents getting shot. And there's that, that incredible story where I think his wife says to him, why are you just wearing the, why aren't you wearing your flak jacket? Well, they're, if they're going to shoot me, they're going to shoot me in the head. And it's like, wow. So like, what was that like being there for both of you? Because this, I mean, things are starting to, starting to heat up during the process of this, of his reelection campaign. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm sure Trevor will add to this in a moment as well, but I, you know, the first couple of times that we filmed with him back in the mid aughts, um, I think it was clear to all of us that we weren't dealing with garden variety subject matter. Um, you know, we're riding around in 
in bulletproof, uh, you know, vans, bulletproof, bulletproof trucks um, with bodyguards, with Uzis and, and guns and everything. And so, uh, you know, his security detail back in, in 2007 was significant, but it was nothing uh, compared to what we encountered when he started running for president. I mean, he was riding around with 20 to 25 bodyguards all over the country um and the his security detail was critical to not only keeping him safe but making sure that everything was streamlined in terms of the travel plans from one place to another um you know one thing that was really impressive about him is the frenetic pace of the campaigning and uh every single day he was traveling to a new town or city to give speeches and also interact with people and meet with people and um no other candidate uh, during that campaign was really doing that in the same way. Many of them were doing press interviews back in Bogota, but they weren't actually traveling out to where people live to these far-flung communities um, made up of, you know, Afro-Colombian, indigenous, and campesino populations who had been deeply affected by the conflict. And so I think one of the inspiring things for us was to see the, the dedication that he had during his campaign. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was obviously, uh, you know, there were always security concerns. And I think that um, we were, while we were not uh, kind of being protected by his security detail, um, we had a good rapport with them and they were always kind of aware of our presence. And to the extent that they facilitated access uh, at various moments when we needed to get on stage somewhere or, you know, get behind the scenes with him for a moment or two, um, they were actually really helpful uh, to us along the way. And, and you know, it's a thankless job because they, you know, the only time, you know, the, they, they either either he gets killed or he doesn't. And so, you know, if he doesn't get, get killed, then that means they're doing their job right. But people aren't necessarily coming up and thanking them for that work every day. And so, um, but yeah, they're, you know, it was, that's, it was a, an intense process for sure. And, and many presidential candidates have been killed over the years in Colombia as we, allude to in the film, um, the woman that you were mentioning a minute ago, Maria Jose Pizarro, is the uh, the daughter of the former M-19 um, presidential candidate, Carlos Pizarro, who was assassinated on a plane um, uh, while he was campaigning to run for president. And actually, during this campaign, there were significant threats um, against Petro's life, one of which uh, was a plot to assassinate him um, shortly before the election. Um, and that was a trip that we weren't actually meant to be on with him. But you can easily imagine a scenario where we would have been on that trip and something bad could have happened. So um, there was a risk for us, um, but we tried to take all the necessary precautions and and stay close to the security detail while we were out shooting. Absolutely. And yes, of course, Pizarro's wife, my, my apologies, but um, it, it would have been um, absolutely incredible. Trevor, over to you. What is it about Petro that makes him so special? Why does he scare so many people? Well, I think that uh, what makes him special uh, in this instance is that he really has become this this avatar of uh, decades of of struggle of of progressive left um, disenfranchised communities, uh, people who have been. Um, major victims of of all the negative consequences of the sustained conflict in Colombia, and you know, as a politician, 
he he definitely i mean he had his own history as a former guerrilla who demobilized and then joined politics um, and worked within the electoral democratic system for many years uh, before he um, ran for president. And I think he built up a profile um, that resonated with those people. Um, and he he confronted a lot of the sectors um, of the right wing and the military and the paramilitary groups and the drug gangs. Um, in a very brave and outspoken manner and suffered consequences. Um, he was exiled. Um, there were attempts on his life. Um, his family were threatened. Um, there were, you know, I think he proved that he was a brave and capable person willing to um, put himself out there for what he believes in. And I think that's what garnered such an appeal um, as to why people are scared of him. You know, there there just is this unfortunate history of of hyper polarized politics in Colombia, but also all over Latin America that we're now seeing extend really across the world. Um, uh, we're facing our own election in 2024 that will have some of the same themes at play. Um, very divisive politics that feel like people are being drawn further and further away from each other, and as part of that. There's this media environment of of scare tactics and hyperbole, and basically, you know, your political opponents will try to cast you in the worst light that there is. And in in Colombia, that is calling him a communist in the vein of um, Fidel Castro or Hugo Chavez or someone who um, I think that there's this very fair fear of uh, that will destroy um, the economy and um, create like a left-wing dictatorship. But the truth is that that is not Petro's politics. I mean, he he's not a hardcore um, communist. I mean, he's he's a progressive, in, in, in our language, maybe you call him like progressive left. He, he's, a, he's a Democrat. He works within um, the democratic system. And, you know, as you see, or as we have seen since he's been elected, none of those None of those fears have transpired. Um, Colombia is still a democracy. People are still going about their business. They can own property, whatever, you know. So um, that's a long way of saying that, uh, of answering your question. Hopefully that did, yeah. Here is a man who espouses peace in, in every opportunity he can. Um, peace, peace, peace. And, and I, th I think it was him and I could be wrong, but I think it was him that talks about peace as a social contract. Mm -hmm. um, based on based on your time with him, both of you with your time with him. What does peace mean to Petro? What does it look like? What is what is he trying? I know I say what is he trying to achieve? He's trying to achieve peace. But what does peace mean to him? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, in the film, he's says that he feels like peace isn't just about uh, brokering peace between armed groups, but it's also about um, uh, social and economic inclusion. And, um, and, you know, he talks a bit about kind of the broken uh, structure of the economy. And if you look at kind of this idea of the social contract, you could argue that it goes back hundreds of years um, to 1492 even, or, or back to the 1500s. And so, you know, historically, a country like Colombia has been ruled by uh, an oligarchy, primarily uh, landowners um, who have vast tracts of land who control 
much of the country's wealth. And so, um, you know, when we talk about kind of bring, having uh, peace being a social contract means bringing people who've been sidelined out of the political and economic system into full participation and full agency over their own lives and also uh, respect for human rights, which has been sorely lacking. And so it's a, actually a, a larger systemic change that he's alluding to rather than simply um, ending you know, the conflict uh, between armed groups who are vying for control of drug traffic around the country. It's actually about uplifting um, the middle class and, and trying to address these historical uh, imbalances that have existed because of this uh, these entrenched political interests and powerful interests that have controlled a lot of the country's wealth for, you could argue, hundreds of years. Um, so that doesn't mean that he wants to go about um, expropriating land and and going with pitchforks uh, and torches to you know take over vast tracts of land around the country. What it means is giving people a decent wage and um, something that might resemble uh, social democracy or you know, uh, a robust um, social spending program uh, like what we have in, in Scandinavia and various countries in, in Northern Europe and uh, akin to maybe what somebody like Bernie Sanders was arguing for in the United States. So I think that um, this idea of the social contract is sort of like a broad-based idea that is kind of a North Star for Petro. Um, and of course, his you know, one of his biggest goal is to um, address the issue around drug traffic and around the armed groups who are vying to control um, that business. But, uh, you know, on the other hand, it's also about um, kind of changing Colombian society and how power and wealth are, are distributed. You know, I, I like that you're saying that about, I like a lot of what you're saying, but I mean, I, you know, when you're talking about changing Colombia's, Colombia society, because one of the comments that come out is that, you know, he's he's run twice before, but Colombia may not have been ready yet. What was it about this election that Colombia was ready, do you both think? Trevor, do you want to answer that? Sure. Um, well, I think that we weren't sure if they were going to be ready, as, as the film uh, alludes to. Um, I mean, it was a very contested election, and... I mean, what was clear is that there was people, there was a readiness for change, but people didn't weren't sure what that change was going to be. Um, you know, ultimately, as you see in the film, um, it came down to uh, a vote between Petro as a certain type of change candidate, more in this social democrat form that Sean mentioned, and then more of sort of a right wing populism represented by um, his uh, primary opponent. So, you know, I think what that says to me is that people were really upset with the status quo. People were tired of um, some of the policies of um, the former President Duque, who was very unpopular. There were periods of sustained unrest in Colombia during the tail end of his administration um, that I think boiled over and manifested themselves in this electoral um, contest that we, that we um, captured on film. It's incredible to see it unfold. Um, one of the things, too, that comes up, and this is earlier on in the film, uh, I believe it's Marquez, uh, just as she receives a nomination for vice president, she talks about 
the difference between resistance and violence. And I was wondering for the two of you, based on what you saw in your time with them, um, where does that line lie? Because I, what we've seen here is this is this is a country which is ready, which is, I mean, it's a simmering pot of, of hurt and frustration for years and years of oppression. What do you think that line is between resist, resistance and violence? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, one example that we can look to for the possibility of um, resistance through, uh, you know, nonviolence is the fact that Petro himself uh, is a former M-19 combatant um, who then demobilized and um, went into traditional party politics uh, and managed to keep the peace, as did the other members of the M-19, former members of the M-19 uh, for the better part of the last 30 years. And so, um, you know, I think that Francia's point when she says that is is really that, you know, when she's making a fist, it's not about a fist that's trying to um, encourage violence, but rather that it's it's about resisting violence that's done to you. And I, I think that for her, you know, being such a strong voice um, for human rights, in Colombia and in her community in particular, which is a community that was had been threatened by violence and paramilitary violence for many years, um, and where she had received her share of death threats. Um, it really is about, um, you know, standing up for human rights. And, and that's not necessarily through violence, but rather through um, kind of harnessing your own power or your own agency and, and through collective action. Um, and so I think that Francia and Petro are both, uh, you know, potent symbols of that idea. And um, they channel that into their advocacy for building peace in Colombia. It's crazy to see sort of an evolution in, in Petro, uh, because you're right, he starts off in the M19. He, he sort of moves from peacekeeper to peacemaker. Mm -hmm. and, and there's this evolution of understanding that is really fascinating to see how how that sort of unfolds um it, it's he he's he's a great character and I, I don't use the term character lightly like i just mean his personality he's a fascinating person to follow and study it, it's interesting too if you look back at a lot of the archival clips including some of the ones that we use in the film um he's been saying similar things for you know 40 years and so uh, it was actually amazing to look back at different interviews that he did at various stages of his life where um, he's he's saying more or less some of the same things um, that he's saying now. And it's more that society has started to catch up to the things that he's saying rather than him adapting to a changing society. Um, and so, you know, I think even as a 19-year-old at the beginning of the film when he's doing that interview with a, a hat pulled low over his eyes talking about um peace you know he's practically saying some of the exact same things that he was saying on the campaign trail as a 60 year old um, presidential candidate so um i think that he's been really consistent over the years and, uh you know whether he's effective now in in achieving some of those goals is another story but um you know we really wanted to tell the story of the campaign as a kind of culmination of something that he had been working towards for his whole life now, have you have you spoken to him since the conclusion of of the film? Have we have you heard any updates of of how things have been going on? 
he saw a previous cut of the film um and said that he liked it um which is enough for me <laughs> uh but he uh you know he's been busy i don't think that this documentary is a big priority for him but he did he did tweet about our premiere in mexico um you know and we do uh hope that that it's well received i mean i think because of the polarized nature of the country we know that in colombia um there are as many people who who dislike him as as who like him um and of course it's it's much harder to govern a country than to run a, a political campaign so it's been of a bit a bit of a a roller coaster for him in this first year and a half in terms of getting some of these ambitious reforms passed but um you know i think one impressive thing about him is that in the face of adversity he always continues to um press on and uh one, one example of that that we didn't include in the film is actually when he was mayor of bogota and he was removed as mayor under very um sketchy circumstances by a sort of a biased um opposition uh and then he was reinstated uh as mayor after it was discovered that a lot of those accusations were unfounded and so you know he's used to um a lot of people coming after him and and vocally opposing him but um i feel like one of his admirable qualities is is his resilience and his ability to continue to try and execute on his vision regardless of of what people may or may not be saying about him mm. and, and absolutely and it, it, as i said it is a fascinating film um trevor sean what is it that you hope people take away from petro well, I think that um, for me, it's it's really that the film, the film I hope resonates with audiences outside of Colombia, people who are are confronting their own politics of of polarized politics or politics of division, people who are going up against um, nascent authoritarianism, um, autocracy, you know, people who communities who might be dealing with their own legacies of of conflict and and struggling to reconcile maybe a violent history with um making peace through democratic means i mean i think that the film has these universal themes we tried very uh deliberately to wrap the story of the election in this sort of exploration of the last 30 40 years of colombian political history to really help um show what the stakes were and why this election was so um, uh, important. Um, and really, you know, I hope that people can draw parallels to their own lives. And especially as we move into the 2024 election here in the United States, um, draw some lessons from it or inspiration. I mean, we're 2024, just to tack on to what Trevor is saying, it's not just the US election. I think we have close to 4 billion people voting in elections around the world in the next year. Um, so this is something that we really hope to tap into uh, some universal themes that we believe um, are a mirror of what's happening in so many different places around the world, and that it's a testament to collective action and uh, to grassroots organization and organizing um, to try and bring about something um, different than what, you know, has happened in the past and um, that a change is possible and, you know, uh, that if that change doesn't come about with with this administration, that, that that same progressive movement or that same coalition of people 
can come together yet again and and find a new champion for their cause. And so, um, you know, I think that, uh, yeah, we hope that this film resonates with people around the world and, and we hope to get it out to as many people as possible. So thank you for helping us with that and spreading the word. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for your time and congratulations on the film. I wish you guys the best. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Great to meet you. Great to meet you too. Thanks. Have a great day.